This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and explicit male-female sexual content, including descriptions of intercourse. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 228. Hello, Metamorphs, and welcome to Season 6 of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City Story Universe. For more about me and my work, check out chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, and tell you the latest on my life and my writing. So let's get started with this week's story. Today, I'm proud to bring you the first chapter in my Metamorph City novel, Homecoming. This is an erotic fantasy adventure that takes place a few months after The Lost and the Least. If you haven't listened to that novel, I would encourage you to check it out before listening to this one, because there are some spoilers for it in this book. You can find The Lost and the Least serialized in the Metamorph City podcast feed, or you can download the complete audiobook at audible.com. And now, here is Homecoming. Homecoming, a tale of Metamore City. Written and read by Chris Lester. Dedication for Abby, who never stops pushing me outside my comfort zone. Thanks for making me a better writer. Chapter 1 Friday, November 10th, 2000, Christos Reckoning John threw his overnight bag into the back seat of his skimmer, then settled into the leather bucket seat with a happy sigh. He started up the electric motor and listened as the lift turbines spun to life, their low hum filling the cockpit of the sporty little craft. He strapped into his restraint harness and switched on the radio, drowning out the turbine noise with classic rock and roll. Then he released the parking brake, and the skimmer rose off the concrete with an eager growl. As he spun the craft nimbly around and headed for the exit, he spotted his boss, Mistress Jasmine, walking out ahead of him. The lead priestess of the Church of Hedonism was headed toward her own skimmer, dressed in a skimpy black dress, silk stockings, and twelve-centimeter pumps. Unusually, she wore a human form tonight. Straight black hair that fell to the middle of her back, pale pink skin, dark red lips. Her shapely ass swayed as she walked, probably more than was strictly necessary, even with those shoes, but it made for one hell of a view. All the same, he thought it would have looked even better if she'd let her tail out to play. She smiled over her shoulder at him, and he rolled down the window as he approached. Big plans this weekend? he asked. 
Jasmine's eyes gleamed yellow in the dimness of the garage. Unlike her skin, she had done nothing to hide their natural coloration. There's a new club opening on the Upper West Side, she said. The owner is one of our congregants. I expect to eat very well tonight. She licked her lips and frankly quivered with anticipation. After a moment, she came out of her reverie, and her eyes fell on his overnight bag. What about you? Going to indulge in your hobby, I suppose? Don't call her that. John buried his stab of irritation behind a bland, carefree smile. Can't say no to a good thing. Jasmine tisked. An incubus who plays it safe, she said, shaking her head in a show of mock despair. You need to get out more, John. There's a whole wide world of people to enjoy. All in good time. Have fun, mistress. I'll see you on Monday. Jasmine gave him a tolerant wave, then continued on her way. After taking a few more seconds to appreciate her gorgeous ass, John headed out into the chaos of Metamore City traffic. For the next hour, he fought his way through the city's three-dimensional maze of skyways, which wrapped around the massive towers like a network of concrete spiderwebs. Rush-hour traffic in the city was always abysmal, and on Friday night it was doubly so, as the people leaving work ran up against the tourists coming into town for the weekend. After passing Kaya's citadel and entering the valley south of Borough, he descended from the posh fourth Skyway level to the working-class environs of the first level. Here, the towers loomed over him like a concrete jungle, and the night sky was blocked out by the layers of skyways overhead. It was a dismal part of the city, in his opinion, and until seven months ago, he wouldn't have dreamed of going here. Certainly not after dark. But a lot could change in seven months. A few blocks later, he came to the Serenity Arms apartment complex, a brownstone fascia built into the eastern face of Hughes Tower. With ornamental columns flanking the doors and carved lintels above its small, rectangular windows, it was a building displaced in time. Most apartments in this style had been torn down decades ago, but Serenity Arms endured, like a stately old baroness whose beauty had never faded. John parked in the first-level garage and made his way inside, his bag slung over his shoulder. He took the stairs two at a time, his heartbeat quickening in anticipation. Stopping at an apartment door two floors up, he ran a hand through his dark brown hair, straightened the collar of his red gingham shirt, smoothed down the front of his khaki trousers, and finally knocked on the door. He did not have to wait long. His enhanced hearing easily picked up the sound of footsteps hurrying toward the door. There was a brief pause, during which he imagined his hostess making a similar last-minute check to her appearance, and then the deadbolt slid back and the door swung open. As he often did, John took a moment to drink in the sight of his lover. Catherine Catane was an imposing woman, a hundred and eighty centimeters tall, lean and athletic, as lovely and fearsome as a lioness. Her shoulder-length hair changed color every few weeks or so, but tonight it was a dark auburn which brought out the pale, peridot green of her eyes. She had a heart-shaped face, with a thin, straight nose, full lips, and a strong chin, 
all of which combined to create a beauty that was greater than the sum of its parts. At the moment she wore a silk robe of sage-green, which matched her eyes and complemented her fair, golden-hued skin. The robe fell only to mid-thigh, exposing her long and powerful legs, and she had tied it in such a way as to show off her cleavage, which was currently enhanced by the lacy black bustier peeking out from beneath the robe. That was new, and John felt his cock stiffen at the sight of it. Kate smiled, a slow, satisfied expression that said she knew exactly what she was doing to him. She leaned against the doorframe, arching her back to present her breasts for his approval. Happy Friday, handsome, she said, her voice low and thick with desire. I hope you brought an appetite. John stepped in close and kissed her hard, cupping the back of her head with one hand and her shapely, well-muscled ass with the other. She giggled against his mouth, clearly delighted at his reaction, and then her lips parted to receive his tongue. Without breaking the kiss, she gripped the front of his shirt in both hands and pulled him inside the apartment, then kicked the door shut behind them. When John came up for air, he stopped short, abruptly noticing the change in his surroundings. When he had first started coming here, Kate's living room had been a disaster area. Every horizontal surface covered in unfolded clothes, shopping bags, used dishes, empty beer bottles, magazines, exercise equipment, and other assorted junk. Tonight, though, it was spotless. The couch, armchair, and ottoman were all free of laundry for the first time John could remember. The carpet was freshly shampooed. The coffee table and bookshelves gleamed, free of dust and beautifully polished. A large candle was burning in the middle of the table, filling the air with a sweet smell of vanilla. He grinned, recognizing the handiwork of the other special woman in his life. I see Morgan was here. Hey, this was a team effort, Kate said, giving his shoulder a playful swat. But yeah, she left about an hour ago. I wanted to surprise you. John spread his hands, taking in the room around them. I'm surprised. And also turned on. Kate's eyes narrowed, and her smile gleamed with white, even teeth. Just the way I like you. She kissed him again, fast and hard, then asked, Couch your bed. With your bed? Not even a contest. Smirking, Kate gestured expansively toward the back of the apartment. Together they walked through the small kitchen and dining area and into the master bedroom. Kate's massive, four-poster canopy bed took up most of the available space. The only other pieces of furniture were a pair of side tables and a chest of drawers. Here, too, Morgan had been at work. The usual clutter had been swept away, and more candles were lit on both tables and the dresser, filling the room with a warm, sensual ambiance. Kate stopped beside the bed and turned to face him, an alluring smile curving her lips. Slowly, she opened the robe, revealing the bustier in greater detail. It also revealed that she was not wearing panties. She let the robe fall to the floor, then traced one hand slowly across her thigh and over the neatly trimmed patch of hair on her mons. John admired the way the candlelight played off her skin 
bringing out its golden undertones. Her smile turned playful. Are you ready for your dinner, love? I've got it hot and waiting for you. John licked his lips. Very much so. His voice felt thick and rough with desire. In response, Kate stepped forward and started unbuttoning his shirt. Good, she said, her voice a match for his own. Let him out to play. With Kate's invitation, John allowed his body to relax into what he thought of as his true form. Fair skin changed to the color of red brick or terracotta. Brown hair turned glossy black, as did his finger and toenails. His eyes changed from a warm brown to gleaming amber. A pair of curving ram's horns sprouted from above his forehead, curling back and over his ears. As his pants fell to the floor, his tail grew out from the base of his spine, pushing out above the elastic band of his boxer briefs. The tail was long, thin, and muscular, and it had a fleshy, spade-shaped head that was nearly as long as his open hand. There were other changes he could have allowed to manifest— fangs, claws, and bat-like wings, but none of them were convenient for sex, so he rarely used them. More than anything else, sex was what incubi were made for. Sex was what they—what he—needed to survive. Kate watched the changes with a hungry expression, her emerald eyes roving up and down his body to take it all in. His tail reached out and traced the upper curves of her breasts, curling its tip inward to feel beneath the lace of the bustier. She covered the head with her hand, stroking up and down its length with strong, nimble fingers. The head was nearly as sensitive as his penis, and John shuddered in pleasure. He quickly divested himself of the rest of his clothes. His cock was already more than half erect, and he felt a wave of relief as he freed it from the confines of his underwear. She stepped in close and kissed him again, pressing her body against his bare chest, trapping the tail between them. John sent its head plunging further below the lace, feeling out one of her nipples and squeezing it. Kate gripped the hair at the back of his head with one hand, while the other caressed his ass and fingered the base of his tail. John's cock swelled rapidly under her attentions, reaching its full twenty-five centimeters in less than a minute. Kate moaned in anticipation as she felt his erection. She stood on tiptoe and arched her hips, raising them enough to let his shaft pass between her legs. Her labia were already slick with her arousal, and she ran them back and forth along the length of his cock, lubricating him with her own juices. She kissed her way up the side of his jaw to his ear, then purred into it. Why don't you hit me with some of that essence? John chuffed a surprised laugh. You don't exactly need it right now. I know, Kate said, her voice dripping with desire. But it feels so good. He grinned, and obligingly, he directed his attention to his mystic center— the spot just below the navel where a mage stored excess mana, and where Daedra-human hybrids like John kept their reserve of essence. Essence was something more than mana, or energy, or matter, though it could be reshaped into any of those things. It was the raw substance of divinity, 
the stuff that gave the gods and their offspring their supernatural abilities. For John, and all other incubi and succubi, that essence was a fragment of Suspira, the fallen goddess of passion and fertility. Though it was split off from Suspira's physical body, and bound to the soul John had inherited from his human mother, it remained, in a real sense, a part of the goddess. When John drew on that power, he was inviting Suspira's influence into the world around him, and inviting like-minded mortals to engage with her purpose and ethos. Kate's aura opened to accept the essence, letting it flow through her body and soul. As it did so, it altered her feelings and perceptions, strengthening thoughts and emotions that aligned with Suspira's mission, quieting and suppressing any reservations or inhibitions that might hold her back. The priorities of the goddess were simple ones. Give pleasure. Take pleasure. Procreate. This last command would not actually be followed, thanks to the extra-strength birth control amulet embedded under Kate's skin, but her body was more than ready to make the attempt. Kate closed her eyes and moaned as the essence flowed through her. Her hands gripped him hard and held him close as she ground her mons against him. As the wave of essence subsided, she put her mouth to his ear and hissed, Bed! Now! She pulled him hard toward the bed, and John let himself be drawn. She scooted onto the middle of the mattress and lay on her back, spreading her legs in invitation. John crawled up after her, stopping with his head above her mound. The smell of her arousal was intoxicating. He grinned up at her. My favorite meal, he said. Then he lowered his mouth to her waiting pussy and began to eat her out. For John, this was eating in more than a metaphorical sense. As he licked and nibbled and sucked at Kate's sex, as she writhed and squealed with pleasure, he sensed the opening of her aura, the field of life mana generated by all living things, which flowed out of their mystic center and covered them like a second skin. Normally a person's aura was closed, its mana inaccessible from the outside, but acts of physical and emotional intimacy lowered those defenses. That made it possible for incubi and succubi to feed on the mana and replenish their daedric essence. Kate's aura blossomed around her like a beautiful, sweet-scented flower, brushing over John, mixing with his own aura in the places where they touched. John felt his daedric side uncoil inside him, eager to reach out and take the life force that Kate was offering. As he drove her to her first climax, he let that power off its leash. Immediately it reached out and drew on Kate's life mana, pulling it into that core of need and hunger that dwelled inside him. Kate's squeals turned to shrieks of ecstasy, as Suspira's essence lit up all of the reward centers in her brain. She climaxed again, once, twice, three times in quick succession, each one stronger than the last. She grabbed John's head in both hands and wrapped her long, powerful legs around him, holding on for dear life as each orgasm crashed through her. At last, she collapsed back onto the bed, panting hard. Holy... holy fuck, she gasped. Her eyes had gone unfocused and glassy, 
staring up at the canopy overhead. John grinned again. Exactly, he said. He crawled up the length of her body, pausing along the way to plant kisses on her belly and the upper curves of her breasts, then met her lips with his own. She returned the kiss eagerly, cupping his cheek and jaw in one elegant, long-fingered hand. John's erection was now almost painfully hard. He arched his hips, pressing the head of his cock against the folds of her labia. Kate broke the kiss and stared up at him with a look of pure desire, her cheeks flushed, her brow covered in sweat. Without a word, she reached down, grasped his shaft, and guided him inside her. Sweet waves of pleasure engulfed John. The physical sensations of coupling and the supernatural ecstasy of feeding blending together in a narcotic rush. He and Kate moaned together as he thrusted inside her. Kate dragged her fingernails across his back, the hot, white lines of pain adding to the pleasure. She grabbed a pillow and buried her face in it, screaming out one last, shuddering orgasm. Another flood of life mana came rushing into John, and that was enough to push him over the edge. He held on tightly to her shoulders, groaning as his cock spurted and spent itself inside her. The delirious pleasure slowly faded, and John became aware again of his Daedric side, still gorging itself on Kate's life force. With an effort of will honed by twenty years of practice, he reined in the essence, cutting off the flow of mana before it could take too much. Kate had the strongest life force of any human he had ever known. In addition, she was a wizard, so she carried an extra reserve of mana on top of her innate supply. That gave them an extra measure of safety, allowing John to feed on her more often and more deeply than he could with any other partner. Even so, he still had to be careful. Suspira's essence could never be fully satisfied. It was up to his human will to keep it under control. John closed down his aura, restricting the link between his mystic center and the outside world. Most of the essence he had released into the room had circulated back to him during feeding, but not all. In his arcane sight, he could see a small portion of it still clinging to Kate's aura, like faint, wispy tendrils of red smoke. As he watched, the residual essence drained into her mystic center and disappeared, absorbed into the same inner store of power where she kept her mana. This was an exceedingly rare talent for a human. Apparently, Kate had gotten it from St. Mirai, the Star Child, to whom she was related through her deceased biological father. Famously, the prophet of the Mariahist church had caused the fall of the old gods when she stole most of their essence from them, giving it to the immortal spirit Kaya for safekeeping. Mariah had millions of descendants now, but very few of them had inherited the talent for manipulating essence, the so-called star child's gift. John suspected that the gift could be put to some interesting uses if Kate ever figured out how to control it. So far, the most remarkable thing it had done was to change her sexual orientation. About a month into having regular sex with John, she had absorbed enough of Suspira's essence that she began finding people of all genders attractive. 
This had been especially welcome news for Morgan Drowling, Kate's best friend and an old flame of John's, who deeply loved Kate, but had feared she would never be able to return her affections. Now the three of them were exploring polyamory together. Cautiously, in case Kate's new orientation proved to be short-lived. After more than five months, though, the change seemed to have stuck. John wondered if there would be further changes as their relationships continued. Not that this isn't already the best thing that ever happened to me. Smiling to himself, he climbed off of Kate and settled in beside her, wrapping one arm gently around her waist. She was deep in a post-feeding haze, sleepy and content. She murred happily as he leaned in and kissed her cheek. Sweet dreams, my love, he whispered. Kate's eyelids fluttered as a vague smile played across her lips. When she spoke, her voice was muzzy, like a person talking in a dream. With you? Always. She nestled in closer to him, then chuckled, seemingly to herself. You're so sweet, John. My parents are gonna love you. John froze. Wait, what? But Kate was already fast asleep. And that's the end of chapter one. Come back next time when John finds out about Kate's plans for the holidays. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. This episode is being recorded in advance and covers the week of April 18th through the 24th. I wrote 5,483 words this week over the course of 8.75 hours for an average writing speed of 627 words per hour. I wrote on all seven days this week. This week I started writing the actual text of my new FF romance novel, Honor Bound. I wrote two chapters, one from Honor's perspective and one from Natasha's. My research into the romance genre has told me that it's important to begin the book by showing each character's mask, the role they play in their society, the face that they show the world. Honor is a nobleman's daughter who's just coming of age, and we see her getting ready to attend the debutante's ball, where she will be formally introduced to her society. She also receives a gift on behalf of her estranged mother, whom she has not seen since she was three years old, and who carries a notorious reputation in the Metamore peerage. This sets up the struggle at the heart of Honor's identity, between the desire to uphold her family's honor and the yearning to follow her own path. Accepting her mother's gift is a tiny act of rebellion against society's expectations, and it will open the door to harder choices she'll have to make as the story continues. For Natasha, the story starts with her struggling to adjust to civilian life. This story takes place in 1894 Christos Reckoning, one year after the end of the Second Great War. Natasha is a soldier down to her bones, and we see some of the lingering effects of the trauma she suffered in the war. Now she serves as a guard in the Duke's household, which is getting ready to host the ball where Honor will make her debut. Natasha is awkward and uncomfortable in her new social context, so I gave her a friend, 
a more experienced guard who knows a lot more about Metamore society than she does, and who is patient with her as she tries to fit in. Honor and Natasha are starting from very different social positions, but their introductory chapters mirror each other in what I hope will be a satisfying way. I'm looking forward to continuing the story, and driving these two toward their first awkward encounter. I think it will be a lot of fun. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.